Well, we are concluding a series we started <clears throat> at the beginning of the month that's simply entitled 1.5, and maybe you remember that was uh, one chapter books, and maybe you remember uh, we first book that we uh, went through was the book of Jude, and a uh, question, uh, who wrote Jude? So we'll be reviewing next week. We're going to start over with the book of Jude, and... Uh, uh, Jude wrote Jude. Who was Jude? Jude was Jesus' brother. Do you remember that? Anybody out there remember Jude was Jesus' brother? Okay, sure you do. You're going to raise your hand now and say, oh yeah, yeah, I remember, I remember, because you don't want to do it again, right? And then, then we did Philemon. Philemon, um, and uh, Philemon, who wrote Philemon? Paul was writing to uh, Philemon, and Philemon was a guy that had a church in his house. Oh, good. Whew. Man, yeah, okay, yeah. And uh, this has nothing to do with anything, but now it's just kind of fun, you know. It's just so, um, And uh, maybe you remember that uh, Paul was in prison, and he writes to Philemon, and he was writing about Onesimus. And then, uh, then we did uh, Obadiah, Obadiah. That's just fun to say, Obadiah. And uh, we did that last week, and uh, Obadiah was a lot of history there, and we're going to kind of review some of that history. But uh, today we're doing the only, the only book in the uh, Old Testament uh, that has just two, it's the only book in the Bible with just two chapters. Only book in the Bible with just two chapters. But today we're only going to do chapter one of the only book with two, and that's the book of Haggai. Haggai, Haggai. That just uh, sounds like something you don't want to get. Oh, yeah, I got Haggai again. So, um, and uh, so uh, Haggai, Haggai. We're going to go look at the book of Haggai, and um, we're going to start off in uh, chapter one, uh, verse one. And uh, here we go. Are you ready? Let's read uh, Haggai chapter one, verse one. Here's put on the screen. It says, in the second year of King Darius. Well, aren't you glad you know that, right? King Darius was the king of Persia, king of Persia. So in the second year of King, uh, of king Darius, on the first day of the sixth month. And so you're thinking, let's see, the sixth month is July and the first day. No, they were on a lunar calendar and we are on a Gregorian or a Western or a Christian calendar. And so it's not the date that you might be thinking of in your mind. And so it says, In the second year of King Darius, king of Persia, and the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. And so this is a message that God is giving his prophet Haggai to communicate to, guess who he's communicating to, to, to Zerubbabel. Now there's a fun one to say, Zerubbabel, uh, son of Shatil. And the governor, and he was the governor of Judah. So Zerubbabel is the governor of Judah. And to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And so Haggai is writing a letter to the governor of Judah and to the high priest of Judah. And it's a message from God to the people of Jerusalem or to the people that are returning to uh, Judah. They're going to live in the city of Jerusalem in, in that area there, okay? So, let's go to the maps, all right? We've got to kind of unpack. We've already covered a lot of ground here, okay? Here's where we were, and last week, maybe you remember uh, that uh, Abraham, God goes to Abraham, says, move from Ur over to uh, the land of uh, uh, flowing with milk and honey, right? He says, I want you to get, have you give you the land of Canaan, you're eventually going to be over there. So he moves uh, over there. And then maybe you remember that Abraham has a son, Isaac. And then uh, Isaac has two sons, they're twins, Jacob and Esau. And we said that Esau's family line stays over in that area of the Jerusalem area, and, and they never go anywhere, so they multiply and they, they, 
uh, um, what's the word I mean when they fill the land with their kids? They, anyway, uh, then, and so that's what they do over there, Esau's. And then Jacob, Jacob, the other twin, um, he has a son, and his name is, he has many, he has 12 sons, and his youngest son is, is Joseph, and Joseph gets sold into slavery over into Egypt. So now they move over there, and then remember they're enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, but then uh, they leave, they go through the Red Sea, they wander through the wilderness, and remember that's where we were last week. Uh, actually, we'll get there. And they, they make their way over back to the, the area of Jerusalem. Next slide, next picture here. Uh, until it was a, a united kingdom. Remember, there were, there were three kings there. There was uh, King Saul was the king eventually, and then David followed him, and uh, David uh, wanted to build a temple, but uh, his son Solomon, Solomon, his son uh, Solomon, but then Solomon's kids, he had many kids, but two of his sons were fighting, jockeying for position, who's going to be the next king of the United Kingdom? Next picture. And remember that uh, they, it gets divided, that whole area over there gets divided into the northern kingdom of Israel with the capital city of Samaria and the southern kingdom of Judea. Uh, and their, their capital city was Jerusalem, Jerusalem, right? And uh, then maybe you remember from last week that uh, the northern kingdom of Israel existed until the year 722 when the Assyrians came down and they took that whole area, kind of burned it down, took over everything. But And the, the uh, southern area of Judah uh, thrived and prospered for about another 135 years until the Babylonians came down and they moved in. And they, they when uh, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, when they showed up, uh, they went into Jerusalem, they burned the city down. They burned the temple down, they wiped it out. And then what they did is they hauled away. Remember, that's last week, is where, this is where we were last week. When the, as the Babylonians were coming in and taking over uh, the area of Judah, that's when they tried to run away. Remember, they, they tried to escape by going down the king's highway. And, uh, uh, but that's when the Edomites uh, captured them and hauled them back and turned them back over to uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. And, uh, and they, they got all hauled out of there. You read about that in the book of Daniel. They get moved out of that area. And they get moved up to Babylon. And there is a remnant of Jews that is left. And, and so uh, the Babylonians, they were in charge of that entire area until I think it was the uh, next slide, is it 830, or 536, uh, 538, 538. Then the Persians come. So the Babylonians had that whole area for a long time. But then the Persians come and they take over that entire area. Now watch this. Okay. Uh, over here is Jerusalem. And uh, they go from Jerusalem and they get hauled off. The... Uh, they get hauled off to uh, Babylon, and what is the what's the capital city? Uh, where did uh, um, where did uh, uh, Saddam Hussein live? What was that city? Let's see, Saddam Hussein lived in what city here? In in I, I, Iraq, right? Baghdad, Baghdad, Baghdad. Did you know that Baghdad is where Babylon was? Baghdad is the city of Babylon. And so when the Jews were captured by the Babylonians, they were literally hauled off to Baghdad, Babylon, okay? That's where they, and now the, um, the Babylons get taken over by the Persians. The Persians come and they sweep through that whole area, and now they're in charge of everything, and they have defeated the Babylonians. And King Darius, okay, is now king of Persia, and while he was the king of Persia, this is what he said. No longer are we going to hold 
these Jews captive here in, uh, in, in uh, Babylon. We are going to release all of the Jews. The Jews can make their way back to the city of Jerusalem, and they can be exiles there, and they set up essentially uh, like reservations. They're reservations. Um, they set up, and they said, you Jews can go back, and you can occupy, again, the city of Jerusalem, and you can live there. Uh, you can set up your government there. That's why they had uh, Jehozadak, the governor, and that's why they had uh, Joshua, who was the high priest. So they, uh, they're still under the authority of the Persians, but now they are allowed to go back and to live back in Jerusalem. And so that's where we pick up uh, the story of Haggai. Haggai is a prophet, and he is writing to the governor and to the high priest of the Jews that were living. They had exiled out of Jerusalem over to Babylon. Now they made their way back uh, several years later because the Persians have taken over. And the, the, there, it's, no, it's, not, it's not their country uh, it's not their city, it's all Persians, 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 but they're allowed to live there and practice their faith and practice their religion. Does that make sense to you? Uh, it's a lot of history, a lot of history. But that's where, that's where we land when we land here uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the book of Haggai. And, and it said King Darius uh, was the king, and it's literally, it's um, uh, August uh, 29th is what that date would be according to the uh, Gregorian calendar up against the lunar calendar. And so it's very specific, very, very specific. The book of Haggai is very specific. Now, all right, next verse. Here we go. Verse 2 says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, and so Haggai, uh, God is writing to, or God is communicating to Haggai, and he's saying, Haggai, you're my prophet in Jerusalem, and uh, you've got all these exiles that are here. And the Jews are living there in the city of Jerusalem. And do you, hey guy, do you realize what they are all out there murmuring and saying while they're living out there? This, that's, that's what God says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people, those Jews that are living in the area, they're saying this. The time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, that's the, the dramatic point there. And so uh, that's, why, that's why Haggai is, that's why God has communicated to Haggai, I want you to write, and the people are running around, they're saying it's not time for the temple uh, to be built. Well, in order to understand what the significance of that, uh, back, back to the maps, okay? And so I'm going to turn around here. I'm just hoping that when I turn back around, you're still here, okay? Um, and so remember, here's what happens. Is, uh, the, we've, we've followed uh, Abraham all the way over to Egypt. We know they were a slave for 400 years. And then maybe you remember that when they leave uh, Egypt, uh, they go to the area uh, the, where they wandered in the wilderness is down in this whole area here. And here, I don't know if you can see that from where it says Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai. Remember, if you've seen Charles and Heston and the Ten Commandments, and, and you remember that uh, the nation of Israel makes their way, led by Moses, out of Egypt, and they're wandering in the wilderness, and that's when God tells Moses to go up on Mount Sinai, and God delivers the Ten Commandments. The 613 laws of the Old Covenant are given to Moses, and a part of those laws are the instructions as to how to build the temple and the tabernacle. The temple and the tabernacle. Uh, next picture. And so... Um, uh, remember, uh, God tells them, build the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, for those of you that are Indiana Jones fans, you, you love that, that story, which is a fictional story, but it's a fun story. There. And so uh, this was symbolic. This was symbolic. Next picture. He says, I want you to build the tabernacle. The tabernacle is about uh, 50 feet wide, 
feet wide and about 75 feet long was that fenced-in area. And then uh, in the tabernacle that they would haul around in the desert while they were out there, uh, this little box that's kind of off there to the, the left side, uh, that was, uh, there was always coals burning in that. That's where they would burn the sacrifices. Bulls and goats, they'd burn it all up there. And then there's kind of, next to it, kind of looks like a big bird bath. It was a wash basin where they would wash themselves, make themselves clean. And then there was the tent, the holy temple uh, that was there and it was divided into two parts. Next picture. Divided into two parts. There was the holy and then there was the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And uh, they would make, the priests, high priests would have to go in there. They'd make sacrifices. They would go in there. And once a year, they'd go into the Holy of Holies, and they would put the blood on top of the Ark of the Covenant that was there. And so this, now here, okay, watch this. This is the most important part of the sermon. The reason that God had the nation of Israel as they were wandering in the desert to build this tabernacle was this. God wanted to them to know, <clears throat> I am with you. In fact, when they would set up the tabernacle, three million Jews wandering through the desert, when they would set up the tabernacle, it would be at the center of where they were camped out. God wanted them to know, I am with you, you can see me, I am visible, and I am to be at the center of who you are. You are my people. When you come together, I am at the center. Then what, when they would lead, when they would leave there, right, the Ark of the Covenant would go before them. God wanted them to know, I am leading you, and I want to be at the center of who you are, and you pay attention wherever, wherever you go, wherever I lead you, I am to be at the center. And, and so then, uh, so they build this thing. Next picture. Next picture. Um, and then uh, you remember during the time of the United Kingdom, uh, first it was Saul, then it was David. King David wanted to build a permanent structure unto God, the temple. But God told King David, no, you've shed too much blood, but your son is going to be able uh, to build a permanent temple. And it's there built at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And you can go there today and see where that was built. And um, and uh, so in 960 B.C., right around that time, it took a long time for them to build that. And uh, they built it. And now the inside of the next picture, the inside of the temple is absolutely... Now look at when you, if you ever had the opportunity to go inside uh, the temple uh, that Solomon built, everything, say everything. everything. Everything that you looked at, when you walked inside that temple, everything you looked at was made out of gold. Everything was made out of gold. Pure gold. Pure gold. Gold, everything, the, the lampstands, the altars, the everything, everything that you like, a pure, pure gold, pure gold, an absolutely spectacular building. Is there another picture? I don't remember if there's another picture. Oh, yeah, this is where you can go. Um, and so uh, King Solomon built that temple uh, in Jerusalem, and this is the, what they call the Temple Mount. You can go to Jerusalem today, and you can see where King Solomon built that uh, temple. It's still very significant. Uh, in fact, um, there are... All of the materials to rebuild the temple have already been purchased, are in place, and they're in storehouses and warehouses around that area. And there's already people uh, that if they were ever given permission to rebuild the temple, uh, they think that they could build it in a week. Boom. Go up. Because they believe that that's a very significant. So now here's, here, listen to this. So the, uh, the temple was built in 960, and uh, it, it did just fine up until about the year uh, 200. And... Um, uh, then it, it was taken down again. What's interesting, while the, while the temple, temple was still standing in the year 200 uh, B.C., 
Uh, then the Egyptians, the Egyptians came over and took over that whole area that the, the Persians were involved with there. And then they did some really mean things to the Jews. They went in and um, uh, they, uh, they, okay, now let me back up. I get ahead of myself. The, the temple that King Solomon built was destroyed and burned down by the Babylonians when they went in. So they got all the gold out of the temple, okay? Then it was rebuilt again during Haggai's time, uh, but then, and it stood for uh, up until about year 200. And then um, the Egyptians came up, and the Egyptians, they went inside of the temple in Jerusalem there, and they kind of gutted the thing out, and they built a giant uh, uh, idol to Zeus. And they would make the Jews go in there and sacrifice pork to Zeus. They were really mean to them because that was totally against everything that God wanted them to do. Pork was an unclean food and things like that. Anyway, the temple comes back down. Then in the year 19, 19 B.C., 19 B.C., that's when we come across King Herod, and we read about King Herod and the story of Jesus. King Herod allows them uh, to rebuild the temple. Now the Romans own, they take over that whole area of Jerusalem. They're in charge, but to keep the peace with the Jews, they are allowed to rebuild the temple again. And so they build the temple on the Temple Mount again in 19 B.C., and that stood until A.D., 70, A.D. 70. So Jesus, the temple that was uh, Jesus would have walked through was built in 19 uh, B.C. And then in A.D. 70, then the Romans burned the whole thing down to the ground. And it's never stood again since then. And, and, and it's not there today. So that's, that's temple history, temple history. But the point of the whole temple is that when, when, when God had them build the temple, it was symbolic. I want to be at the center of who you are. I want to be your leader. I want you to know that I am with you. I am visible to you. And I am God. And I am God. Okay? Got that? <sighs> Let's see. Where are we at? Did I read verse 2 yet or not? Yeah, I did. Yep. All right. Now we're on to verse 3. No more pictures. Verse 3 says this. So, so you got the picture, right? Haggai is writing a letter to the people, and, and they, they haven't been, they haven't, they've been, they moved back. They, they laid the foundation. They laid the, the foundation about 15 years ago. They laid the foundation, and now Haggai is writing to them because they haven't completed building the temple. Verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while his house remains in ruin? And so that's the first line that God delivers to the, to the Jews that were, had been returned and living in Jerusalem. When the Persians uh, let them go back into Jerusalem and start working on their, they start working on their own houses and not on the Lord's house. When they got back, uh, they they kind of had this me first focus and not a God first focus. Uh, they they went back to Jerusalem. They laid down the foundation and then they just started working on their own house. They were exiled. They got back. They laid the foundation. Then they're like, well, I think I'm going to go work on my house, or we're going to let God's house do its thing. Over there. 
And so when Haggai is writing this letter to the Jews that had returned from exile in Jerusalem, what he was communicating to them is, here's what God wants you to know, write this down. Haggai says, change your focal point. Change their focal point. Make their focal point because the reason that God built, had you build the temple in the first place, because God wants you to know I want to be at the center of who you are and everything that you do, and I want to be present amongst you, and I want you to know where I am, and I want you to know that I am at the center of who you But they were distracted. They were focusing on me and not on God. Verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Say careful. Then everybody kind of do one of these. Careful, careful, careful thought, giving careful thought. This is, today's message, this is one of the hardest messages for all of us to grasp in our entire walk with Jesus, period. Today's message is one of the hardest messages for us to grasp from the time you become a Christian till the time you die. This lesson is the hardest one to grasp for all of us always. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're never warm. You earn wages only to put them in purses with holes in them. How frustrating to work so hard and get nothing for it. How frustrating to put on layers and not be warm. How frustrating to drink and never be quenched. And how frustrating to save money only to have it disappear through, run through your fingertips. How frustrating is all of that? They were chasing the same exact things that the Assyrians when they came down and wiped out the Israelites, power, glory for themselves. They were chasing the same exact thing that the Babylonians were chasing when they came in and wiped out Jerusalem the first time. They were chasing the very same things that the Persians were chasing. More money, more power, get all I can get, and it was leading nowhere. As God's people, God wanted them to put Him and who he is at the center of their life. God wanted them to keep God at the center of their life. I said this is the, the most difficult, challenging message for all of us. Keeping God at the center. What, what does God want? Listen to this. Only the things of God can satisfy. That's what he's communicating to them. He's communicating this to them. Only the things of God are eternal. You're chasing after all of these other things, but keep God at the center of your life. So he goes on to say this, verse 7 and 8. This is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. You've heard that before. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. What's that all about? He says, get to work. 
get to work. Now, it is literal, build the temple. But why is it literal to build the temple? Because God wants his centerpiece to be at the center of their lives. But it is also figurative, get to work at keeping me at the center of your life. Get to work at keeping me at the center of your life. Make me the center of your life. Question. Do you want to put a smile on God's face or do you want to figuratively put a frown on God's face? That, that we kind of we get to choose. We kind of get to choose. Uh, maybe you all remember what it was like when uh, uh, your child, uh, maybe you remember when your child, and tell him there's your opportunity. Maybe you, maybe you all remember when your child uh, would do something fantastic without you asking them. Uh, you know, you, maybe you would discover that they had cleaned their room or done the dishes or mowed the yard or whatever it was, and you never went to them and said, hey, you know, you got to do this, and we've talked about this before, and, you know, they just did it, and all of a sudden you'd be like, wow, they got it, they're awesome, they just completely did this. But you also can probably remember some of those crazy arguments that you had, you know, those uh, 20-minute arguments with your junior hire as to why they can't leave the wet towel curled up on the floor in the bathroom. Why, you know, so it's a big deal, you know, you know, you pick it up, you hang it up, well, why can't it, you know what I mean? And so we remember those kinds of things. We know what it's like when our kids do something that's fantastic without but we also know how frustrating it is. It seems so obvious. You know, it's going to get moldy. It's going to stink. It's got to pick that up. You've got to hang it up. That's us. We get to choose, am I going to put God at the center? Am I going to get to work at putting God at the center of my life? This is the hardest lesson. It's the hardest lesson. Because God has to be more important than the pursuit of more stuff. Advancing the career. Acquiring more toys. God is to be at the center of our life. And we are to get to work. That means not passive, it means aggressive. Putting God at the center of our life. Center of our life. He's saying this. Live for God. Live for God. Don't, I have not, God didn't allow them to leave Babylon and make their way to Jerusalem so that they could just be, you know, fat, dumb, and happy and have a bigger house. He allowed them to be a, rem, a remnant of everything that he started with Abraham, that they would be a people through which the Savior of the world would come. Put God at the center. At the center. So how did, how did the people... How, how will you respond? How, how did the people of how did the people of Judea there, the Jews living in Jerusalem, how did they respond? Then, Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. 
I am with you. I think, did I just go ahead one? Yep, I did. So here we go. Sorry, verse 12. That didn't make any sense. Verse 9. Where? I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. There's a lot going on up here. A lot of times and dates. All right, verse 9. Here we go. Live for God. It says, You expected much, but see, I turned out to be a little, okay, I'm sorry, I'm just really, I have got myself mixed up here on my outline, and uh, this is a hard one, because I'm, now I'm rewinding in my brain. Okay, here we go, verse 9, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. Uh, What you brought home, I blew away. God had brought a drought into the land of Jerusalem while they were not rebuilding the temple. God had brought a drought into the land while they were... It says, Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains in ruin, while each of you was busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, uh, the harvest, or the heavens, have withdrew their dew from the earth and the crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains and the grain and the new wine and the old and whatever the ground produces on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. God punishes them because they did not put him first. God punishes them, brings a drought into the land because they would not put God first. And that's exactly what God always does. And it's only because God is a good father he disciplines his children. That's what God does. He is a good father. He disi- God disciplines his children. And so uh, we, we know that in our own lives. When we start wandering way uh, far away from God, all of a sudden things are uh, we'll, we'll going to encounter something that's going to be difficult in our life, and then we feel foolish because, oh, I should have been staying close to God the whole time. God loves us, and he disciplines. He disciplined them. And so how did they respond? Here's how they responded in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, remember he was the governor, and Joshua, who was the high priest, and the whole remnant, all of those people that came into Jerusalem, the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. They obeyed. They feared the Lord. They found new reverence for him. They repositioned God back into the center of their life. And verse 13 says, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. When they turned back to the Lord, he was right there waiting for them. God awaits your return. Three things that we can learn from the book of Haggai. Number one is this. Three things that we can learn from the book of Haggai. Write this down. Keep God the center. In good times and bad times, God wants to be at the center of your life. That was the message of Haggai. Keep God at the center of your life. The second thing that we can learn from the book of Haggai is this. Go to church. Now, how do you come up with go to church off of 
the book of Haggai. How do you do that? Well, uh, remember that when God told them to build the tabernacle, to build the temple, that was symbolic. That was symbolic of God being at the center of their life. Then comes the New Testament. And we no longer go to a temple. This is not a temple. This is a tool to do ministry in here at the church, right? And so uh, where is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Where is the temple of God now? Corinthians tells us our body is the temple. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when we come together collectively, we form the church. We form the church. We don't go to a temple to identify we are going to go connect ourselves to God at the temple as they would have in the Old Testament, but we collectively would say because God is in me and with me, he wants me to get together because when we are together, we then form the body of Christ. And so how does God reach down and pick up? He uses the hands within the church of uh, the body of Christ. How does God see? How does God communicate? How does God hear? He uses the body of Christ to do His will. So when we put Christ at the center of our life, because I am limited in my abilities, but I can do some things you can't do. And you are limited in your abilities, but you can do some things that I can't do. When we get together, we form the church. We form the body of Christ. And when we get together, we are to do the will of the Father. The Great Commission. The Great Commandment. Love God. Love each other. Collectively. In the Old Testament, they go to the temple. New Testament, we gather as the body so that we can show God we want to do your work through your church because you are at the center of our lives. Last point. God awaits your return. When God sent Haggai with this message to the Jews that were in Jerusalem, he had disciplined them. It was a drought. They got to work. They started building the temple. They put God back at the center. And God was faithful. He knew that they were his people. And he simply awaited the return. Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. It's the same story as the book of Haggai. There were kids went away, and they came back, and the Father waits with open arms. The question that we have to ask ourselves and the thing that we have to deal with is, is God at the center of my life? Tomorrow, when you wake up and you think about your day, is God at the center of your life? Whether you're retired or you go off to work, lunchtime tomorrow is God at the center of your life. That's the hardest lesson that is in the Bible that God wants always, always, always to be at the center of our life. We're so good at being distracted. But I think that that's why God reminds us He is always there. He is always there waiting for us to turn around and go back to him. He loves us. He cares for us. 
He is good to us. So, for those of us that are believers in Jesus Christ, and you were baptized a long time ago, and go God, tomorrow, today, what are you going to do to show God He's at the center of your life. Today, tomorrow, what are you going to do to show God He is at the center of your life? Today, if you don't know Jesus, the only reason he wants to be at the center of your life is because he loves you. He knows what's best. He cares in ways we cannot comprehend. We all daily do well to put God at the center of our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the awesome illustration of your faithfulness over thousands of years working through your people that we can study and see the care and concern and the love that you have. Help us, Father, to live for you. We ask in Jesus' name, and amen.